welcome back to another episode of the Upbeat Dietitians podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the pod. I feel like today's episode is kind of like an OG episode. Like, I think we've been like really mixing it up this season and trying new things, but this one is just like the old days talking about <laughs> diet culture and how much it sucks. So as you guys know from the title today, we're discussing all of the issues with weight centric medical care. We've of course touched on this multiple times based on like our own experiences and what we hear from like clients and patients. And also we talked about things like obesity and ozempic and things like that. But today we're going to get specifically into like weight centric medical care and why it just really sucks. So buckle up. It's going to be maybe a little bit ranty for a few minutes here. (laughs) Yes. Probably quite a bit of time. So we'll just dive right into it because we're going to have a lot to say. So just in general, the traditional healthcare model, which I'm going to say this is specific to Western medicine. I don't know much about other medical systems, but this is going to be specific to Western because that's what we know best. We work in it. We were, we were brought up in it. (laughs) We are very much exposed to this. So Traditional healthcare kind of tends to be more weight centric, meaning that there is this heavy emphasis on BMI and weight being utilized as a measure of health. So essentially like if you're in a larger body, you're viewed as being less healthy. And since weight and BMI is emphasized so much that just keeps being pushed and pushed. Yeah, exactly as we've alluded to before, and you guys likely know, if you're not new to our podcast, like this obviously can do more harm than good. When all we think about is someone's body weight. Like it's all we're looking at when we, they come to the doctor's appointment, they're there for a sore throat, but because their BMI is overweight or obese, which by the way, we'll be using kind of in like air quotes today. We talked about this in the obesity episode way back, which we'll link below. Um, but don't really jive with those terms, but to kind of tie it into this episode, we will be using them, but with, with good old air quotes. Um, but if someone comes to the doctor with that non-weight related issue, but their weight is an issue to that doctor, the doctor or whatever provider might bring up weight as an issue, even though it's not taking away from the care of the actual issue at hand, which sucks. Yeah. Which sucks. I've heard just so many stories from people in my DMS, people in real life, like patients and clients, like we are not just saying this because we are like weight neutral dietitians. We have all this bias against like using weight in healthcare. Like, no, like we see this like all the time causing problems with people. We also have studies to back it up too, which we'll link some of those below too. Yeah. And it unfortunately goes beyond the healthcare system, which makes sense from where it comes from because we were like taught this weight centric model to follow every single case study we did in college we had to calculate the bmi like it was never relevant (laughs) but always why why (laughs) i I don't you're so right i like thinking i'm like why did we do that but we always had to identify the case studies BMI. Even in like our exercise classes too, like when we're talking about like training clients, hypothetically, like in our like ex-phys classes and stuff too, always calculating BMI. 
Yeah. It is crazy how much power BMI has over the education system, the healthcare system, the world. (laughs) We are giving this tool too much power. (laughs) I mean, we'll get to this, but like insurance companies are looking at BMIs, like it is used so frequently and it's literally just a ratio of height to weight, which I feel like we shouldn't go too much into BMI because we have a whole episode on it. But I was going to say that. It's go bullshit. listen to our BMI episode. It is very good. Also very ranty, but we really dive into BMI and why it's such a silly little tool Yeah, in this world we live in. So, Well, before we get into sort of our bulleted list of all of our issues with this model, I also wanted to just address sort of my history and our history together, even speaking to like how we were raised under this weight centric model. Like if you listen to old podcasts, you'll hear us talk about things differently. I used to work as a weight loss dietitian, like straight up prescribing weight loss for every single issue for my patients. Boo to that. Like, I guess I'm just bringing this up because it's showing how, like, again, like how norm, not normal is normative, the right word. Like it's what's happening. Like we don't question these things. Yeah. Like we don't question these things until we have a reason to question them. So like for me, maybe, but maybe you too, Emily, like being in the field is what led to me, like having this change of heart. So if you maybe you're like brand new to this concept and you like read this title and you're like, what do you mean the issues with residual care? Like nothing wrong with that. Like I myself am this BMI. So I should be losing weight. It's not healthy for me. Like we were there too. And not to say that your beliefs are wrong, but there's just a lot to think about and to talk about when it comes to all this. And I guess that's the point of today's episode is just to raise awareness. I think it's overused, but that's what I'm trying to say, I think. <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it. We're here to provide another another perspective. As providers who work in a weight-centric world and don't have weight-centric philosophies. But we're at one time part of the problem. So we can kind of speak yes. from both sides. So look at that growth. <laughs> look at that growth. We love that yeah. growth. So let's get into it. I feel like I'm already not going to be happy. I'm <laughs> I'm sweating. Like I have sweaty hands, but it's okay. What's uh, <laughs> new? Yeah. So start off. The first issue with the weight centering model is BMI. We're not going to go a ton into BMI. Listen to the episode. Listen to our obesity as a disease episode. We'll link both of those in the show notes. And essentially just like you can't, long story short, you can't identify someone's health status by their BMI. It's an incredibly flawed tool. It's one data point and this whole plethora of health. And it is heavily utilized because it's cheap and quick and very discriminatory. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if it's being used, honestly, because it's discriminatory, but it's an easy tool to use and it ends up being very harmful, harmful. Yeah. And I don't want to speak badly about all doctors and PSPAs because of course there's really good ones out there and dietitians are 
on the bad end of things too sometimes. But that happens all the time. Like as someone who works, has a history of working in a large system with just, you know, good old charting, like what happens is you put your patient's height and weight in, it calculates BMI. If it is overweight or obese, it is red or underweight too, which is good. I'd say that it pops up red. So that's like the first thing that your eyes are drawn to on their chart and the system that I've experienced with anyway. And some providers see that f- not, it's not flashing, but I was gonna say flashing red, but it doesn't flash. That'd be crazy. That red number <laughs> though. And they're like, we have to talk about this because it is an issue for this person. Yeah. And you're already like just making you're even if you're like subconsciously doing it, you're making an, an assumption about someone before you're even going in just based off of that bolded red box or whatever. It's true. It like is. pre-charting on patients, like we can see all of your past weights and all of that. And I'm sure there are plenty of providers who see a patient for the first time before they come in, they see their weight is whatever number, the BMI is whatever number. And like you just said, they kind of make a, a snap judgment about that person's health based on their weight history. Yeah. Hmm. One Not great. data point, like Emily yeah. said. Yes. This one. So yeah, that is one of the issues. Issue number two kind of goes right along with it, but contrary to what diet culture will tell us, weight does not equal health. We often see people like complimenting weight loss because we feel like their health is improving. They're so much better off now that they're losing weight. And on the flip side, if someone gains weight, you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Are you okay? You must be getting sick. Their health is getting worse because they are gaining weight, but that is just like not necessarily how it works. In fact, being underweight again, like all based on BMI here, but being underweight has a higher mortality risk than being overweight or even obese. Um, I think I can't quite remember in terms of ranking, is it overweight has the lowest mortality risk than normal weight, then obese and then underweight. So being underweight is right. Yeah. Which is like romanticized. Right. Exactly. But being at a lower weight, And again, you know, we can't necessarily say that being naturally thin is a bad thing because being naturally larger isn't a bad thing. But like Emily said, it's romanticized and it's glorified in this way that we were always pursuing being as thin as possible below what our body wants to weigh. And when that happens, we do have that risk of that low weight being linked to things like, you know, weakened bones and fertility issues, poor healing poor recovery from illness. So, and of course, like we just had higher mortality risk as well. So it's like when in the weight centric model, like being overweight or obese is what is so demonized, but usually those people are actually healthier than those who are according to BMI underweight. Yeah. And it's just because we live in a like thin focused diet culture ridden world that in a very fat phobic world that there's all this emphasis on weight and like you said the weight loss is always complimented I hear people talk about like I'll just be 
out in a restaurant or out and about. And I like recently heard some, this like group of people talking and they're like, have you seen so-and-so recently? They look so good. And they, they're like, yeah, they lost 30 pounds. And I'm like, this is what we're taking our time to talk about. Like, I am one, I'm all for gossiping, but not like there are more <laughs> fun things to gossip about than someone's changes in their body. That's incredibly boring. Yeah. And like, like yeah. Like, and, meanwhile, and, yeah. Emily and I were just talking about before we got on air about like <laughs> selling eggs and <laughs> how much money in our childbirth. Baby. <laughs> yes. And our babies marrying themselves in insects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's way more fun than discussing our weights. Yes. Much more fun. Yeah. <laughs> We're entrepreneurs. <laughs> I <say> so myself. <laughs> uh, but there are other things you can utilize to measure your health. So you're probably like, well, I hope I'm not going to assume what you're thinking about health, but weight is placed so much on that pedestal there. It's kind of like other things are forgotten. Like Health markers like lab values, blood pressure, things of that sort are a little bit more objective and can improve even if someone's weight doesn't change. It happens all the time, all the time. And then like Hannah said, actually, I don't know if you said this. I might be confusing this with like the other 50 episodes. We talked about this all the time. Yes. We said this that like, there isn't any evidence that says weight loss, uh, weight loss, weight loss, <laughs> weight loss alone cannot improve a person's health or lower their risk of disease. Like weight loss and weight changes in weight is not a behavioral change. It's an outcome. People make like changes to their dietary habits, their physical activity levels, things like that might lead to weight loss, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to start, like compare, like I'm going to start eating a vegetable a day compared to like, I'm going to start losing weight. And suddenly it happens. That's not how it works. Right. Right. I don't think I said that this episode, but I've definitely said that until I was blue in the face a million other (laughs) times. And I probably will just continue to say it until everyone understands it. But yeah, we have this concept because again, of diet culture and all those things that, okay, but what about like type two diabetes and heart disease? That's all because people are getting fatter. Right. But we don't have any evidence that shows that direct correlation there or that direct causation, excuse me, there is correlation, but there's not causation. Um, and yeah. those are very different things. So we just can't say that if someone has type two diabetes, that losing weight is going to get rid of their type two diabetes. It's just not how it works. People of all size bodies get heart disease, type two diabetes, have bad knees, have bad backs. It's just more complex than that one data point, the number on the scale. So fun. (laughs) So fun. I'm so glad we went into this as a profession. (laughs) Uh, Our next issue, (laughs) we'll just keep this fun train going, (laughs) is maintaining long-term weight loss is difficult and not even always possible. Like it's not, I know I'm going to trigger Hannah, it's not as simple as a calorie deficit. (laughs) Like genetics plays a role into our weight, social determinants of health 
play a role are like body's natural biochemical processes fight against weight loss. The body does not like to change and weight loss is a pretty big change and it will fight to remain stable, maintain that homeostasis. And dieting is the number one predictor for, am I saying this wrong? Dieting is the number one predictor for weight gain after weight loss. Or is it dieting's number one predictor for disordered eating? Could be both. Both. Could be both. <laughs> but many studies have shown that after two years, people gain the weight back. And it's incredibly hard to keep off, especially with those extreme methods that people are utilizing. And that diet culture is pushing. It's not like it's the people's fault. It's like the system is setting you up for failure. It's not sustainable. So they make you come, they're making sure you come back and give them more money. Yeah. I I have said this hypothesis before, and it is just a hypothesis. I think as far as I know, anyway, maybe there's someone that's proved it, but people are always talking about, you know, Oh, we have this obesity epidemic. Everyone's getting bigger. We need to stop it. But more and more people are dieting and like restricting. Maybe that's what's leading to this quote unquote obesity epidemic. Like, because we know that dieting and restricting can actually just lead to this weight cycling and weight regain. Have we ever considered that maybe that is what is leading to people continuing to put on weight beyond their body set point happy weight because they're constantly restricting and their body is always trying to fight back against that leading to that weight cycle that leads it to go back up. Just a thought. It is a very interesting hypothesis. I've never thought about it that way, but that's true. Like as time goes on, like a hundred years ago, what year are we? 2023. hundred years ago, there were probably still diets, like some, some type, but not nearly as accessible and as marketed, like heavily marketed as they are now. Well, and now like it's so disguised, like wellness culture and just clean eating. And I mean, orthorexia basically in a nutshell, like pretty much everyone is dieting and they're usually getting praised for it, but it's actually just disordered eating in disguise. Yeah. And I want to mention too, with my hypothesis that I fully believe that there has always been people in larger bodies in the world, obviously. Yeah. So that's, that's the other argument against the obesity epidemic. Like there's always been people that are just in the overweight and obese category. That's just how bodies work. But if there is that rise where there's more and more people in larger bodies, I do wonder if it has something to do with just the constant dieting and restriction and the yo-yo dieting and the weight cycling and all that goes along with it. Something interesting to think about. Maybe my new life's work will be doing whatever has to happen to prove that. I don't really know what that would look like. It'd be a lot of long-term research. I might die. I say a lot of research. (laughs) which I don't actually like Um, to do. So that'd be interesting. Totally fine. We'll have to find someone else to do it for you. Yeah. I'll just be the, I'll be the, um, the spokesperson, the face of the, there we go. The movement. (laughs) Well, you mentioned weight cycling. I know I'm jumping down, but you mentioned white cycling. So I want to talk about weight cycling. Me too. And 
if you're not familiar with this term, it's essentially when people like dramatically lose a lot of weight from dieting and then regain the weight in, in most cases, even more than they lost in the first place. And it's this like yo-yo dieting where you're kind of going back and forth, back and forth. And yo-yo dieting has been shown slash weight cycling has been shown to have negative side effects that like is linked to a shorter lifespan. It's linked to increased risk of type two diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol and heart disease. And it's possible there's an association between the weight and the health risk can be attributed to the weight cycling more than the body size. Cause you're just throwing your body in this loop, like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth freaking it out, putting in fight or flight. It's trying to do everything it can to just remain as it is. But because all these extreme changes are getting thrown at it, it's not happy and not stable. Exactly. Like a person who maintains a little bit of a higher weight, but they're about that weight for most of their adult life. Of course, we're going to fluctuate a little bit, but they are likely going to have again, depending on many factors, but possibly better health outcomes than someone who was at that same weight, but then lost 20 pounds, gained 30 back, lost 40, gained 10 back because of that weight cycling, that person is likely going to be at higher risk. Like Emily said, type diabetes, high blood pressure, all of those things, because of that weight cycling, even though now they're at that lower weight than that person who just maintained that higher weight, but that weight cycling puts so much stress on their body that it leads to those possible negative outcomes. Yeah. That doesn't get talked about it's very much. The weight no, cycling it's piece. Not. It's like, it again, it's not. so, it's so glorified to lose weight. Like you get praised from friends, peers, doctors, your, all your providers probably in so many cases that we don't think about how our body is actually reacting to that weight loss. Because even, even if you are sustaining weight loss and you maintain it for the rest of your life, like even that act of losing weight probably puts some stress on your body. And again, we can't say that every person who loses weight is like worsening their health. Like, again, there's two sides to this coin, but it just gets so again, like glorified, even though we don't really see the big lifespan picture where they could gain it back. Maybe this is the end of them, you know, losing and gaining the same 50 pounds for the last 40 years, which has led to all this stress on their body. It's just, ugh. It's just not as simple as, oh, you lost weight, you're healthier. It is not that simple. Or black and white, like we want nutrition and health to be. Right. Well, I feel like the biggest issue with the medical care piece specifically is the weight stigma side. What we've mostly been saying so far, honestly, has been just like why weight and health aren't really correlated, which is why I think that medical care shouldn't be so weight centric, but let's talk about weight stigma, which is, I think the most inherent like thing that's happening, like in this weight centric medical healthcare world. So, oh boy. Oh boy. (laughs) People will say this this doesn't exist, which is crazy to me. Like it's usually people who haven't experienced it. will say it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yes. Or people who just don't see it as a bad thing. Because they hate bad people. Yes. Yeah. So I, <laughs> there are two types of people in the world. No, there's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what weight stigma is, 
It is the internalized negative attitudes and discriminatory acts targeted towards individual individuals because of their shape, size, or weight. So basically what we've been describing where people in larger bodies are treated worse simply because they have a larger body. And there's tons of examples of this. And if you are a person who has a larger body, you can probably give me about 18 more examples of this just from the last two months of your life, I'm guessing, because people suck. Um, but even in medical care specifically, there are a lot of things um, like receiving negative comments about your weight, including again, like from your doctor, your dietitian, your endocrinologist, whoever. Um, it can also happen in the workplace, you know, poor treatment by coworkers or bosses because of your size or shape, not getting a job because of your size or shape, not getting a promotion because of your size or your shape. Um, we talked about insurance a little bit, but higher insurance premiums because they're going to ask for your weight and possibly charge you more if you are at a higher weight because they think that being at a higher weight automatically increases your disease risk. Um, this one I see probably the most, not personally, but like I see happening to people that I know as patients. But being required to lose weight for a medical procedure, such as a joint replacement, an organ transplant, or infertility treatment. I Oof. see that a lot with kidney transplant. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Do you see that? But then like, what I do, and I hold this against the hospitals, I do it. Um, so just so you know, admins at these hospitals, I know what you're doing. <laughs> um, I'll send the patients to hospitals that are a little bit more open-minded. Mm. Yeah. You have to play the system. That's the world of healthcare. Like I can't get a new kidney because my BMI says that I'm unhealthy. Like I've literally had multiple patients who like their labs are every single month, like right where they need to be. They are doing their dialysis treatment. They are like following the dietary recommendations. They take like they're prioritizing their health so they can try to set their body up for like the most seamless transplant transition and they'll be categorized as like overweight or obese and they will not like take them or put them on the list. And I'm like, insane. what? So they're not allowed to get on the list, even though, like I said, labs are better. They're prioritizing all the good things, but maybe someone who has a, a normal weight is on the list, even though they aren't having even labs they as might good not. as this person. Yeah. It's crazy. And so frustrating. So I'm literally frustrating. like, if you were normal, you were at a normal, like categorized at a normal weight, you would have had a transplant by now. And mm -hmm. that's so frustrating. Mm -hmm. I've seen lots of patients who have told me that they were advised to lose weight before they could start infertility treatments. Like they couldn't do IVF until they lost weight. I feel like the biggest one I see is joint replacements. They won't do their knee replacement until they reach a BMI of 40. Ugh, so frustrating, especially because again, people of all size sizes can get knee injuries and have knee issues, but also their knee hurts so bad. They're pretty much immobile. They, they can't exercise. <laughs> So weight loss becomes even more difficult for them. And so they're just like stuck between a rock and a hard place because they need to lose weight, but they 
can't do a whole lot about it because their knee is so effed up. Uh, it's frustrating. It's I can only imagine how frustrating it is for those who actually are experiencing it. Yeah, it's crazy. And I want to point out before we move on to our last couple of points that this is even worse for those who not only are in larger bodies, but also have other stigmatized things like a disability, people of certain races, genders, ages, sexual identity, all these things can compound together for just like all this, again, like compounded stigma that leads to all these negative health outcomes. So it's bad enough if you are in a larger body, but if you've got a larger body and all these other things too, that everyone also doesn't like, (laughs) it's rough out there for those people. It is. So that's why we just want to talk about it and raise awareness to it and hope that other providers will hear this and open their minds up to it so they can help out those who are fighting against the system because the system was not created in a sense to favor them. Correct. Well, we've got a couple more, but these should be quick because we can definitely piggyback off other episodes, but the other issue, obviously, at least obvious to us with this weight centric medical care is the possible development of disordered eating and eating disorders. Uh, I'm not going to go too much more into that because we've mentioned it a little bit already. And also we talk about it constantly, but of course, when we're telling someone to lose weight all the time without even like screening them for any kind of disordered eating or eating disorders, that's one thing that never happens unless you like show signs for it. And even then people aren't really trained to look for those red flags of disordered eating. And so again, they might glorify them like, oh, you're intermittent fasting. You must be so healthy. That's so good for you. Like keep it up. So that's one thoughts on that one before I move on to our last bullet point. I don't have anything to add. We, we talk about it all the time. All the time. I'm honestly, I don't want to say I'm tired of talking about it because it's very important to me and I'll keep talking about it, but it's just frustrating that this just keeps, it keeps happening. Never is going to go away. It feels like. Um, but our last point we've also talked about a million times before, but if providers do prescribe weight loss medications and, or bariatric surgery, because they're telling their patients they need to lose weight for whatever reason, of course, there are lots of side effects to both of these things. I know right now Ozempic is having tons of stuff coming out side effect wise. And we know bariatric surgery has, you know, lots of stories there too. So there is the risk of that if those options are pursued or strongly encouraged by your doctor, even if you don't want to do them, but because you're fat, they said that you should. Yep. That's kind of the exact like thought process Yeah, for those providers of that. Your body is wrong. Let's amputate your stomach to take care of that problem. But now they're doing it in a way where they're trying to make it seem all like body positive and stuff. It's like all the different like weight loss websites that are like, what do they say? I don't know. They basically just like hijack the non-diet language to make it seem like it's, it's loving your body when you amputate your stomach. That's because you love yourself. That's why you should do this. I was actually listening to a podcast today 
and one of the ads that were set up, which I'm hoping never is an ad for us because I think we turned them off, um, was like, are you sick of extreme dieting? Blah, 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 blah. Join Golo. And I'm I knew like, that was going. <laughs> and I was literally like getting so mad. One, because I was driving, so I couldn't skip ahead. <laughs> and I had to sit through this ad. And I was like, it's it's very easy to be deceived. They have good marketing teams. Mm-hmm. They have very good marketing teams that they put a lot of money into. And they know what the people are talking about. So they just jump on to like that trend, you yeah. know, like non-diet like is not a trend. It's a different way of practicing medicine. I don't know if I'd say healthcare. we're practicing med- healthcare yeah. providers are practicing their skill. <laughs> yeah. We know what you're saying. Yeah. But yeah, I think that is what makes us even trickier is people are pretty aware now. Most people are anyway, that those crazy restrictive diets where I guess not everyone is this aware, but where it's like, if you eat an egg for breakfast and wine for lunch, and that's it for the next 40 days, you'll be skinny and healthy. Like most of us now are well aware that like those things are crap, but the things like Emily just said, or like Noom, all these things that like use the non-diet language and sell their disordered eating. (laughs) If you don't know what to look for, they're going to get you and they're going to sell really well to you. And that's why this is even more difficult because we don't even know what to look for. And all these companies are making it harder to identify what's right and what's wrong or what's not right and wrong, what's helpful and not helpful. Let's propose our solution. (laughs) Yeah. Our solution is weight neutral care for everyone. (laughs) Like into like SpongeBob's like (laughs) rainbow. Yay. Essentially, it's like a concept of weight inclusive care. Crazy. Where health is not defined by your weight and people in all body sizes receive the same level of care and medical attention. And it sounds very Emily, simple, but it's, I feel like you're promoting obesity right now. I actually, happening? yep. Yep. That's what I'm doing. I, yep. <laughs> but it's, that, it's like as simple, it's literally as simple and as not simple because the world does not, will not make it simple as just treating a person without allowing the bias of their weight to get in the weight of your care. And this doesn't mean that like weight has no impact on your health in any way, mental or physical. It is a component of your health. Like we talked about, it's one data point, but it's looking at the bigger picture and not just this one thing where like someone comes in for a sore throat and weight loss is recommended. Someone comes in for a sore knee, weight loss is recommended. We're not looking, it's like taking that into account, but looking at other things going on, like don't know maybe they maybe they have the flu run a swab <laughs> test maybe they have some type of like inflammatory disease going on check their labs don't just it's beyond just their weight and it doesn't mean we can't discuss it but it's like the way you discuss it with the patient 
there is a way to discuss weight without being triggering. And it's something that I say more newer providers are adapting that language, but it's, we, there's a lot of people who do not speak about weight in a non-triggering way. Yeah. And I think it should be the patient's choice too. Like if they want to bring up concerns they have about their own body weight, by all means, like bring it up, talk about it. And like, as a dietitian, working with clients who know that I am a weight neutral dietitian, I always tell them like, we can still talk about your weight and they'll bring it up the concerns they have about their weight. And we'll talk about it, but not in a way where I'm like, oh yeah, you're totally right. Like your body is too big. Let's talk about how to cut calories. Like it's not off the table. We're just talking about it completely differently than how it's usually happening right now. And it's the patient's yeah. choice to bring it up. I'm never going to bring up a patient's weight and say, oh, I seen your chart last time you got weight. It was this. Let's take care of that as a problem because obviously your health is getting worse because of that one number. Yep. That's not happening. And we have to also acknowledge, which I don't think, I don't know any healthcare policy, like screening system that acknowledges or looks for the risks that come with weight loss. Like that's not even talked about. Weight gain, so like, definitely. Yeah. but Or I think of like medication commercials. Like I've never heard one say, you might lose weight on this, be warned. But they will say- weight gain is a possible side effect. Yeah. I have yeah. heard them talk about weight loss, but it's always spun in a positive way. Like you might also, they say like, you might also lose weight. Kind of like Ozempic being for diabetes, but now being for weight loss. Yeah. Yeah. It's the way they like the positive versus like the negative verbiage around it. Exactly. And to just list off the many other positives that come with weight inclusive care and why we want it. <laughs> it's linked improvements in not limited to the following, but we'll list off a few general health behaviors of like increasing movement and more nutritious food choices, improvements in blood pressure, cholesterol levels, self-esteem and mood, body image, weight stability, eating behaviors, like reduction in disordered eating, which is great. We don't want to drive them to an eating disorder. And engagement levels. So like lower dropout rates, stuff even beyond that. Like it is crazy how much a switch in our mentality around weight and how we counsel on weight and talk about weight can change someone's health. It's also evidence-based and ethical. We'll throw that in there. I think that's the main point. Like that's the main, I think that should be reason enough for us to just like ditch this weight centric model is like, we have evidence to back up that weight inclusive care is health promoting. It's also ethical and people are going to feel better about themselves and not have as many eating disorders. Like, would that be the worst thing if people felt good about themselves? Like, is that, <laughs> is that so bad? <laughs> like, sure. You might make less money insurance companies, but really like if people like themselves a little more, is that really so bad? We live in a capitalistic world. Capitalism. And I don't know if you've seen this guy. Okay. I promise I'm not going to draw this out because we're literally on the last bullet <laughs> We're literally point, done. <laughs> and we're not going to extend this for another 20 minutes. Done good I'm going to make this very fast. Have you seen that one guy on TikTok, his skits, 
who he's like, oh, I didn't want to work today. And he's like all sad. And he's like, but the shareholders, I have to do it for the shareholders. (laughs) I'll send you one of his videos. It's so funny. He's done done another one. He's like, the pizza party, I have to show up. (laughs) But in 110% to get my pizza party. (laughs) And it feels very much like that. We're like, all these changes would be very great. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, it's very money driven. Um, So maybe from on the inside, we can just change it and that your mission will be to educate on this. My mission will be to take down insurance companies. Ooh, I and like together it. we will rule the world. <laughs> I like it. In a way inclusive, insurance-free world. Healthcare for everyone. Imagine. What a <laughs> radical concept that a lot of other countries have successfully implemented. And look how much happier they are <laughs> and better off they're doing. Hmm. It's like we're not the only ones who have this idea. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> okay, well, that's my rant. We're not going to stay long. That we're could gonna... be a whole other episode. Yeah. So well, that's weight-centric care. We're going to keep it light care. in the bonus question today. So if you're yeah. wanting a more lighthearted Emily conversation, head over there. But yes, this yeah. is weight-centric care and why it sucks. So hopefully... If you're new here, you learned something new. And if you've been around for a while, hopefully you enjoyed a little ranty rant, which we haven't done in a while. It's been fun. We hope you guys learned something. (laughs) Definitely will listen to the bonus question. It's going to be fun. I have a funny answer in mind. Um, I don't know. I was thinking about it as I just read it. Um, So I'm excited to go over that with you and share this food combo with you. Kind of a spoiler, but I'm excited for you to hear about it. But we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening and take care. (laughs) Take care? How old are you? I've never said that before. (laughs) I don't want to be... I'll sign off like my email, my email sign offs. All the best to you. All the best. Yep. All the best to all of you. I like all the best more. I like saying all all the best. I like saw someone use it. I'm like, that feels a little bit more personal. I like that. I like that. But if it's someone I don't like, I definitely change my email signature. Ooh, this would be a good bonus question. Like what your signature says about you. Ooh, okay. okay. We'll hold this off for another one. Okay, bye guys. We'll let you go. (laughs) Bye guys. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of the Upbeat Dietitians with your host, Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at The Upbeat Dietitians. Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.